But you have to understand that time is not a resource. It's a priority. And so time is allocatable. You know, we have 24 hours every day. You can't make more. Uh, and, you know, I can always make another dollar, right? But I can't make another minute. Yeah. However, you know you have 24 hours. So the question is where you allocate it. And in terms of meaning in life, you know, if you say to me, look, you know, I, I'd love to see my, my daughter's um, soccer game, but I don't have time. You do have time. That's a lie. You just choose not to go there. Now, you might choose to use that time on something that enables your daughter to play soccer. That's fine. I'm not making a value judgment. But you have to come to the mindset that says, I choose how to use my time. And too much of us use our time based on what other people demand of us. We not only do our own failure work, we do other people's failure work. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Alan Weiss, a psychologist and Hall of Fame speaker that has been called the finest entrepreneurial coach in the world by Marshall Goldsmith. He's the best-selling author of over 60 books, and today we'll take a deep dive into his latest work on creating meaning and a legacy today. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Super excited to have you. And so I want to start off by really redefining legacy. Because the way most people think about it is really the thing that's said when you know, you're in your grave, right, at your funeral. But how do you view legacy? Well, it's true. Most people think legacy starts when you die. And my feeling is that legacy occurs every day uh, uh, and that we can control it, uh, that, we have, um, that we have the ability to steer it, that we have the ability to create it. But uh, most people think life is a search for meaning. Uh, you know, you climb some mountaintop, you meet some guru. I don't think it's a search for meaning. I think it's about the creation of meaning. And the parallel I often use is that a lot of people who want to sell their businesses, they want a high valuation for the business, but they think of that two or three weeks before they want to sell it. Well, you have to have a high valuation all the time. That way you make more money and it'll be more valuable when you want to sell. Your legacy is occurring every day. And so every day you're writing a page in that book. Now, sometimes the page is blank or it's the same page as yesterday, or most dangerously, someone else is writing it. So that's why I think we need to be more cognizant about legacy. Yeah, I love that. So, so why do you think people are so prone to always look at these outside things to try to increase the, the, the validation of their company, right? To, to be acclaimed by other people? Well, it's a good question. And we use the wrong metrics. You know, when I was young, uh, we compared ourselves to kids in our class, to kids in our neighborhood, to kids with uh, whom we played sports, to relatives and things like that. But today, with the kind of media we use, uh, we're compared to people all over the world. And what the media does, what the media do is, they compare us against the most beautiful and the most athletic and the brightest and the most successful and the wealthiest and yada, yada, yada. So consequently, our metrics are thrown off. Uh, and what we need to do is think about what's important for us and not trying to be like someone else. Uh, and, you know, Judy Garland, the great singer, said at one point, uh, I'd rather be a, a perfect me than a poor imitation of someone else. Uh, and I think we have to get comfortable in our own skin. Yeah, I love that. And it ties back to your idea of that, that really meaning is not about winning, right? It's not about being the best, but it's about being the best you can be. It's about bringing your own effort, right? Most of the competition we should be engaged in is with ourselves. And there's a story, it's a true story from many, many years ago, but at the Summer Olympics, uh, there were eight uh, teams in the um, in the uh, rowing contest, and uh, Harvard came in eighth of the eight. They were the last place team. And somebody said to the Harvard coach, how do you feel about finishing last? And he said, 
there's nothing to be ashamed of being the eighth best rowing team in the world. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the way to look at it, you know? So, well, what happens too many times somebody comes home and says, you know, I got a, a 90 in the test and they say, that's great. But you know, last year your sister got a hundred <laughs> or, uh, you know, I kicked the, I kicked the winning goal in the soccer game. They say, well, that's fine. But of course your brother was a state all-star. And so we're, we constantly have these wrong metrics. It's always about comparing this to somebody else. So how does someone, you know, when, when they realize this, right, they realize they're constantly on you know, social media looking for these likes and looking for their validation, how does someone go about actually changing that? Is it simply that intention? Well, first of all, well, first of all, let me say that social media is like poison. It's toxic <laughs> because, because not only are you looking at other people's metrics, but also those people are lying. You know, they're yes. just flat out lying. Uh, you know, I, I often look at business meetings, whether they are um, – uh, whether they are in person or virtual, uh, as as reasons for people to get together and lie to each other about how well they're doing. <laughs> so the, the the way to get to your question, though, the way to um, to set your own metrics is to stop looking outward and start looking inward and say to yourself, you know, what's important to me? Uh, what is it that I want to achieve in my life? How do I want to be known? When I coach executives, you know, and thank you for that gracious quote from, from Marshall Osmond, when I coach executives, uh, I ask them two things that stun them. The first is, are you having fun? <laughs> and they figure, that, you know, you're not allowed to have fun if you're an executive. What's that got to do with anything? But, of course, if, you, if you're having fun, you're passionate. And if you're passionate, you're a much better leader. The second thing I ask them is fascinating. I ask entrepreneurs this, too. Who do you want to be next year? Wow. And every time, 99% of the time, they say to me what they want to be doing next year. And I say, I didn't ask you that. I said, who do you want to be next year? So, in other words... If organizations are concerned about their brands, people should be concerned about how they are regarded, what they are contributing, uh, how they are perceived as helping the environment, you know? So I, I think we have to be much more comfortable not looking outward, but looking inward. Wow. So, so to me, this really sounds like a shift from this outward doing stuff to this internal act of being someone new, right? Well, I, I think that the pandemic actually helped. You know, we're recording this in the beginning of post-pandemic times, restrictions being lifted, at least where I am. And, uh, you know, Mark, um, uh, Dan Gilbert and I, from, Dan from Harvard, who did all these big TED Talks, he and I are doing a program uh, next month, uh, Lessons from the End of the World, we call it. It's a Zoom program. And what we're talking about is, what did you give up with the pandemic that you should give up anyway? Wow. What did you start doing during the pandemic that you should probably hold on to what did you start doing that now you should probably stop doing? And what should you start doing new now that we're out of it? These are very almost existential questions, but that's what you have to ask. And often you need somebody to guide you through that. Yeah. So do you already have any insights to share of like what people, what are sort of the most common things they should be giving up or they should start doing? Well, look at Let's just look at resilience for a moment. I mean, what this has proved is that we're incredibly resilient uh, when we're forced to be. And so why aren't we more resilient when we're not forced to be? In other words, uh, just because you lose a sale doesn't mean you're a lousy marketer. It's the end of the world. You lost a sale to this person at this time in this place. Stop, stop moaning about it. Uh, but we've proved that we can be very resilient and we should be able to hold on to that. We've proved that uh, we can deal with our families uh, in a lot of different effective ways. One of my predictions is, and I'll talk to Dan about this in the session, you know, these Zoom meetings that people had over Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving and so forth. I wouldn't be surprised if they continued because 
it's it's kind of nice to be with a, an extended family for an hour or so on Zoom and not have to worry about your drunken <laughs> Uncle Arthur uh, or political <laughs> arguments or whether the food's going to come on time, right? Yeah. Uh, be prepared just right. So I think I think some people might retain stuff like that. People have found they don't have to go through airports and TSA and security and be strip searched all the time. They can do work perfectly fine, you know, on a remote basis. So those are things that we, we've learned, uh, many of which we, we should hold on to. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love this, and I totally agree. I think I think there's so many great things coming in this pandemic, right? And and, and just like you're saying, there's there's so many people that I've, that I've also met on the show, and and outside of that, that are you know they're having fun during these times, right? They're thriving during these times. They're growing through these times, actively building new practices and new rituals, actually investing in themselves. And so I think it's it's a beautiful time, as you say, to really build that resilience, also for the future, right? For for when things get a little bit smoother and a little bit easier again. We can sort of take the lessons and actually keep keep on living them, right? Well, yeah, and there's this old phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. But what I've come to observe is what doesn't make you stronger might kill you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, how does meaning and legacy, how do those things really intertwine, right? Is it really by creating this daily legacy that you will experience meaning in your life? Or how, how do those two things, concepts really intertwine? I think legacy is a creation of uh, the meaning you find for yourself in the world. Uh, so I think that people need to be spiritual. I don't mean religious. There are religious people who aren't spiritual. There are spiritual people who aren't religious. I, when, I, when I say spiritual, I mean they should be in touch with nature. They should be in touch with the world around them. You know, If you want to look at people who are absolutely oblivious and self-absorbed and not in touch, these are the people who stop still at the bottom of, a, of an escalator, right? Well, everybody piles up behind them. Uh, they're the people who leave a theater and they stop in the exit doors to discuss the play. These people are oblivious. But if you really take a look at the world around you, you know, you find interesting things. You know, I've got a couple of dogs and we have a huge backyard here. Uh, and if the gate is left open, they charge through the gate. They don't stop and do a risk assessment. They charge through the gate, you know, and they're happy and they do that. And I think that people need to charge through the gate. You know, I, I'll sit in, uh, in Nantucket here when we vacation on the ocean and I'll watch early in the morning when I'm writing in the studio, uh, I'll watch these robins come down and pull worms out of the ground. And, you know, people will say, well, the early bird catches the worm. But the fact is the early worm gets eaten. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think you have to really look at nature and look at what you're, how you're interacting and think about, you know, what does this really mean? Why are we doing this and what does it mean? And so instead of constantly trying to say, how do I do this better? You need to ask, why are we doing this at all? And what wow. difference does it make? One of my phrases that I use in this book and others is T-I-A-A-B-B, which stands for there is always a bigger boat. Yes. So it's not about, you know, bigger is better. I don't think that's true. Yes. Yeah, so talk to me. I want to go back to these, to these parables, right? Because in the book, you talk a lot about them, about this army credo really of, of hurry up and wait, right? So how do people combine these two opposing ideas into, into really coherent framework? Well, I call them weasel phrases, you know, I mean, so do other people, but it's things like you hear people talk about a thunderous silence, you know, yeah. but it gets your attention. And the fact is that there are a lot of ironies like that in life. And so sometimes you have to do hurry up and wait. And if you think about it carefully, you understand what it means. So life isn't just a straight line. You know, life is a series of adjustments. Uh, Zeno's famous paradox was if every day you make progress uh, that is half the distance to your goal, you never reach your goal. <laughs> And so when you think about this, you understand that you can't wait for perfection. You can't wait to all, until all things are safe. All things are never safe. 
And we never take a plane ride or eat a dinner or buy a car or anything else that's perfect, ever. So per perfection undermines excellence. And we have to decide on uh, what constitutes acceptable risk for us, and then we can move forward. Yeah, so, so 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 let's go back for a second to this 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 always you know the, the grass is always greener right and it's always a bigger boat right because we as a culture we're so obsessed right with the number one right with the the best and I myself I've, I've fallen into this a lot right especially in I, I used to be a competitive runner for like the last ten years right and there's always you're always striving for a first spot right or like the podium and if you miss it you're like you're just having the most horrible week like afterwards right how can people like overcome this this like craving really for for not just really winning and being the best but also for this admiration maybe that that comes along with that well i think there are a couple of things i mean the first is that um you know you're right nobody ever shouts at the olympics go for the bronze yeah you know, it's right just go for the gold but well we can't win every competition uh and consequently we have to get comfortable just having given our best and so the reward for us should be trying and doing the best we can, preparing and trying to do the best. I tell people in business, if, if you're going to make a speech, prepare well, arrive early, do the best you can, and go home. <laughs> it's not about reading smile sheets. It's not about standing ovations. You do the best job you can. Otherwise, those smile sheets and everything, those are other people's metrics. Who cares? I'm paid a lot to, to, to make people angry. I'm paid a lot to, to, <laughs> to discomfort them. So I don't care if they like me or not. And that leads me to the second point, and that is there's a difference between affection and respect. And we should be looking for respect, not affection. I don't want clients who love me. I want clients who respect me. Now, if they like me, that's fine. But uh, I don't need audiences who love me. I, I, I want to be respected by buyers. I want to be respected by people who I can help. If you need to be loved, you know, if you need unconditional love, get a dog. You know, I have two dogs. <laughs> yeah, to me, I, so, so I'm super curious because to me, really, re respect, right? And gaining that respect always starts with self-respect, right? With being able to look in a mirror and being like, okay with the job that I've done today. Is that is that really how you look at it as well? Yeah, I think self-respect uh, is the key to everything. And, um, you know, I'm frequently asked to give speeches uh, and presentations on self-esteem. And it's because people don't have sufficient esteem. I mean, a lot of my work historically has been in... Uh, how you provide value and how you charge based on value, not hours or days or time. And when I looked into it more closely, I realized that people weren't doing it, not because they didn't understand how, it's because they didn't have the self-esteem to merit the fact that they deserve that kind of money. You know, I say to them, look, look in the mirror and say the fee is $50,000. And then look in the mirror and they say the fee is, <laughs> you know, the fee is 35,000. And I said, wait, is the buyer too tough? You're looking in the mirror for God's sake. So, Esteem is very important, but uh, too many people's esteem has been undermined. Okay, so how do people begin to, you know, if they're listening to this right now, right, and they, they, they do that mirror test, right, and they, they struggle with these words, or they struggle saying, I'm this, like, athlete, or whatever it is they want to do, right? How do you begin to sort of rebuild that self-esteem? Well, I, I suggest a couple things to people. The first is that you have to use more positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's a, a guy who uh, I worked with who spoke at some of my meetings called Marty Seligman. He's at um, University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School, I think. And he wrote Learned Optimism quite a few years ago. Learned Optimism is positive psychology, and it's about how you talk to yourself. So that's number one. Number two is uh, you generalize victories and you isolate defeats. And so uh, if you don't make a sale, like I said before, you say, I didn't make the sale to this person on this day at this time. You don't tell them a lousy market. <laughs> 
And if you do get the sale, you don't say, guy, I got lucky. You say, I'm a great marketer. And if you think of that in terms of your kids, uh, you know, if your kid misses a kick on the field, you don't say, God, you're really awkward out there. You say, that was a difficult kick. No one could have made it. Don't worry about it. If your kid gets 100 in a history test, you don't say, you know, what did you do, cheat? You say, you become a real scholar. So you isolate negatives, you generalize positives. The third thing is an exercise I give to people, and that is in the morning, uh, you know, when you're getting up, brushing your teeth, having breakfast, spend 30 seconds and think of three things positively you're going to do that day. You're going to clean out the garage. You're going to call uh, two clients for referrals. Uh, you're going to deliver a 30-minute presentation. Whatever it is, three things you're going to do positively and help people or help yourself. At the end of the day, before you go to bed, ask yourself about three things you did well. They don't have to be the same three things. And so it could be, you know, geez, I helped somebody at the store today. They weren't sure what to get, and, and I pointed out they were in the wrong section, right? Or I returned a client's call within 90 minutes, and they told me I was right on time, and it helped them get a new deal. What three things you do positively? So in the morning, you're setting your head in the right direction. In the evening, you're going to bed with positive thoughts about who you are. Those kinds of things, you know, positive self-talk, generalizing and isolating, these things help boost self-esteem. You know, I love this so much because these are pretty much exactly the same rituals that I use every single morning and every single evening. And I can attest to the power of that, right? Of setting that attention in the morning and then really in the evening, checking back in and seeing how well did I do, right? Or what can I improve maybe in the next day? Um, so I absolutely love that. And it really, you know, um, a couple months ago, I had um, a Stanford professor on the show, Dr. William Damon. He's sort of the, the world's uh, most famous research in this, this whole field of purpose and meaning. And he was saying the exact same thing as you are right now, which is really that meaning is this daily creation, right? It's not some God-given thing. It's not something that the universe sort of gives and hands to us, but it's really a choice that we need to make every single day. Well, I believe that. I mean, I have a cartoon in the book, uh, Your Legacy Is Now, where my German shepherd has climbed a mountain yeah. and uh, in the, on the top of the mountain is a guru. And the guru is saying to him, uh, it's not fetching the Frisbee that's important. It's the act of throwing. And, you know, the, my German shepherd doesn't know what that means, and neither do I. <laughs> and so we have to find meaning for ourselves and not rely on this esoteric kind of nonsense. Yeah, and I think, you know, go, going back to that the German shepherd and your, your other, I think you had seven dogs over the last two years. Um, there is this, there is this interesting idea, right? That, that like animals, they're able to be so, so present in the moment, right? And they're just able to do these things and actually have fun, right? The, the fetching, right? It doesn't actually, you know, bring it any, any fame. It doesn't actually bring any rewards. It's just a joy itself that, that really comes from doing the act. Well, you know why that is? It's because animals don't have egos. Yeah. And so I've never thrown a Frisbee to my German shepherd where he missed it and apologized, or he missed it and said to me, that was a lousy throw, it's not my fault. You know, If he doesn't catch it, he just picks it up and brings it back. And so there's no ego investment. And the problem with humans is that the sentience brings this ego investment, which is not the way to create meaning, it's a way to, to destroy meaning, because we're trying to protect these fragile egos that we tend to develop. Yeah. How, how did that evolve for you over time? Like, did you always sort of have this view on, on meaning and legacy or were there certain key moments in, in your own journey that really shifted your perspective? No, I, I, I certainly didn't have it from the beginning. I was a scared little kid. And then in, in my younger age, uh, when I got into uh, business, I was, um, I was uh, defensive and I was uh, uh, very aggressive. Uh, you have to get comfortable in your own skin. And I think once I realized, you know, my thirties or forties, whenever it was, 
that I didn't have to keep proving myself to people. Uh, I got comfortable in my own skin. There's a, a, a great, great playwright, maybe the greatest playwright of our generation by the name of Tom Stoppard. And Tom Stoppard said once, uh, age is such a high price to pay for maturity. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, so I think that's, that's why it's even more powerful you know, for, for people listening to this to sort of extract these ideas early on, right? Do you think like, that, is, that is possible for, for people to actually take on these ideas when they're younger and they still maybe you know, don't have that maturity yet to simply listen to people like you that are you know, wiser and, and more experienced and then take that and apply it in their lives? I do. I think one of the positive things about social media and the internet is that you can have wider exposure to people on even, you know, sort of a semi-personalized basis. Uh, there's so much noise. I mean, there's so much crap <laughs> on the internet. But if you can cull out the stuff that's really important and, and truly meaningful, yeah, at a much younger age, you can begin to guide yourself. I do believe that. Now, I do also believe it's a question of, of the kind of friends you have. And, uh, Some of us, I guess, have, uh, have lifelong friends, you know, from childhood. Uh, but a lot of us keep making our friends along the way. And I think it's very important to change friends because uh, you have to keep bringing new people into your life who challenge you and who raise new issues and who raise the bar and who make you grow. So you might have some longtime friends, but I think acquiring new friends, even trans transitory friends, is very, very important. Yeah, so is that something that where you actively look at like the different areas of your life and see like, hey, there, like I need you know more support, more accountability, I need a higher level, really. Like, is that something you actively look for? Yeah, because otherwise people build nests hmm. and they stay in the nest. And you know, when they're in the, you, again, if you if you're spiritual, you look at nature. Um, you know, the birds kick the young ones out of the nest. Once they learn to fly, they throw them out. You know, I don't need you. You're making a mess. You know, I have to feed you. I don't want to feed you anymore. Hmm. And they throw them the hell out. They have to make their own way. Uh, and I think that, you know, the same thing with all of us, we need to um, identify with uh, whom we can learn, but then we have to make our own way. And uh, there's, there's too much, uh, you know, there are too many people on social media who are simply marketing, marketing. In other words, watch this video, watch this video. Okay, now pay me $100 for this video. Oh, now I'm going to teach you how to show other people how to watch these videos. There's no contribution to the environment, right? There's no value in that. It's just, it's like pyramid marketing. There's no value in that. It's just people making money from other people until that line runs out, then they start something else. So spirituality is about contributing to the environment and that way you learn. Love that so much. Now, what makes really all of this happen is using our time wisely. So what do you see as some of these you know, big challenges with people with how they waste their time, whether it's, you know, we talk about social media or anything else that really stops them from, from truly creating a legacy every day? But you have to understand that time is not a resource. It's a priority. And so time is allocatable. You know, we have 24 hours every day. You can't make more. Uh, and, you know, I can always make another dollar, right? But I can't make another minute. Yeah. However, you know you have 24 hours. So the question is where you allocate it. And in terms of meaning in life, you know, if you say to me, look, you know, I'd love to see my, my daughter's um, soccer game, but I don't have time. You do have time. That's a lie. You just choose not to go there. Now, You might choose to use that time on something that enables your daughter to play soccer. That's fine. I'm not making a value judgment. But you have to come to the mindset that says, I choose how to use my time. And too much of us use our time based on what other people demand of us. We not only do our own failure work, we do other people's failure work. I've also found that because I work with so many entrepreneurs, they're all refugees from large companies. And they've left a large company to go out on their own. Now they have a worse boss. Wow. 
So is, it, is that that like lack of self-awareness that, that really makes them their own like worst boss where they're like they're so unable to really judge what's no, important? It's guilt. It's guilt. Guilt? And that's part of esteem. People with low esteem feel guilty. In fact, guilt has become a verb, you know. I guilted you. They guilted her. Uh, and guilt was never a verb before. Mm-hmm. So uh, we start to create our own guilt. Uh, and that's why people work harder than they need to. You know, I, I'm an advocate of a quality 20-hour week over a busy 40-hour week, especially when we all work remotely. But we come, we've come to believe that unless we're working, we're doing something, no matter how stupid or minor, 40 hours a week, then um, we're, not, we're not good people, and we feel guilty about that. As opposed to looking at results and saying, well, here's what I achieved today, those three things every night. And so I feel good about that. And so it's guilt that causes people to, uh, to feel that they're not sufficiently productive. Wow, I think that's so fascinating, right? In, in this culture where we're so obsessed with 60, 70 hour work weeks oftentimes, right? And where people pride themselves on lack of sleep, they pride themselves on really just putting in all these hours and not doing anything else with their lives. And what you're really suggesting is a completely different focus, right? That you're exactly right, nor are they helping anyone else. Hmm. And so when somebody says to me, I'm a workaholic and proud of it, I'm an attorney, I work 60 hours a week, I take work home in the evening and on weekends, and I love it, that's my passion. I say, really, how's your family feel? <laughs> now what's the legacy you yourself want to create every single day well I, I want to I want people to think of me as somebody who provides value to them and helps them uh, run better businesses and lead better lives and of course those are inextricably entwined uh, and so I want people to think of me as someone who helps and that you don't have to pay I have a lot of free stuff that people can avail themselves of uh, and so I want them to see me, uh, especially in the in the entrepreneurial, innovative kind of space, as someone who provides them with good ideas, which they can use to better their lives. That's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, Million Dollar Consulting, my the best-selling of my 60 books, uh, is coming out this year in the sixth edition. It's been on the shelves for 30 years. Wow, yeah. And so that's sort of, you know, that yeah, that's almost unprecedented. So that's that's the kind of legacy that I want to leave, where... I can create this long, long-term learning that remains relevant and remains there for people to use. I love it. Is that something that you think about really on a daily basis, like in that morning ritual, that evening ritual, to sort of remind I yourself? I do. For example, I, in about another month, uh, as a result of that, I'm going to launch uh, a global online learning project uh, based on Million Dollar Consulting, 14 segments with video downloads, the whole business. And it'll be very inexpensive, under $100. Uh, and I'm doing this because I want anyone in the world to be able to access it. Uh, and so I've learned that there are a lot of people in the world who can't afford a great deal of what I provide, no matter how I try to do it. Well, this will be something, thanks to technology, that uh, they can have for very little money and I think will dramatically help them and help their businesses. So I come up with these ideas because my orientation is not to make money. My orientation is to try to create a legacy. Love that. And so one thing that really become apparent to me is that you're very good at, at really looking at challengers in a, in a new way and really asking also difficult and tough questions. So I'm super curious, what's the hardest, most difficult question that you've ever asked, maybe yourself or someone else, one of your clients? Well, I think the most difficult question for most people is who they want to be. That question I talked about before, because... Uh, it's a very existential question, and it's tough for people. People think more about how much money can I make? Can I buy a new car? How will I pay for my kids' college education? Uh, and how is my health? 
they think in these very tangible, pragmatic things. But when you ask people, you know, well, let me let me say this. I think one thing the pandemic has taught us, what it's provided for us, is an increased sensitivity to mortality. Yes. We're not going to live forever. Uh, and consequently, people are starting now to face harder decisions about whether they're in the right profession, they're contributing correctly, they're interacting correctly, and those are the questions they should be asking. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, literally at the start of COVID, I quit my job to finally start this, this you know, long time sort of dream project. Um, and so, so I can totally relate and, and really remembering that has become sort of a daily practice for me as a way to more fully live really and create that legacy every single day. And so I, I love that. What are some of the lessons or have you really also um, through the pandemic started really think about this more? Well, yeah, I think that um, I think that there is no strategy pre-pandemic that's effective post-pandemic. Not a personal yeah. strategy, not a corporate strategy, not large or small business, not profit or non-profit. Uh, everybody has to rethink what they're doing. Uh, and so uh, I think that people have to start considering uh, not only who they want to be, but what their life's work is and whether they have a calling or not. You know, there's this old, old story that speakers tell. They approach a mason who's laying bricks, and they say, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. They approach a second mason, and this mason says, well, I'm building a cathedral. And so supposedly the second mason does a better job because he's got an end in mind, the cathedral. But I, I think it's a stupid story. I think there's a third mason. And when you ask the third mason what he's doing, he says, I'm bringing people closer to God. Yeah. So the first mason had a job. The second had a career. The third has a calling. And only a calling involves passion. And I, so I think everybody needs to ask themselves, am I engaged in a passion? You know, or is it just a nine to five rat race? Because even if you work for yourself, you can be engaged in a rat race. Yeah. So am I, and when you're engaged with a passion, nothing is onerous. Everything is simple. Everything is fun. Uh, and you take the defeats in stride. You know, if somebody goes out sailing and they love sailing, uh, they don't come back in and say, oh, geez, I had a lousy time. Another boat beat me. They say it's a great sailing day. And that's how people should be living their lives. Yeah, I love that. Now, one thing we always love to do on the show is celebrate failures, really, as a stepping stone for, for personal and professional growth. So throughout your life, do you have a favorite failure? A favorite failure? I have a lot yeah. of failures. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I would say... Um, uh, I, I took uh, I took a speaking assignment that I never should have taken. Uh, it was for a very low fee, but they were local, and they gave me a lot of compliments. And I said, okay, I'd do it. I didn't have to travel. It was only you know 30 minutes away. Uh, but it was an inappropriate group for me. Hmm. And uh, I said to my wife, oh, we'll go have dinner, and I'll do this. And we'll be, you know. And it was just dead air. It yeah. was horrible. Uh, you know, I think on the on the one to ten ratings, which I don't read, nevertheless the organizers sent me a note and said you got two. Wow! Uh, and um, my wife said to me, you know, I don't know of anything else you could have done in there, uh, but I realized that you know I had been chasing money, I let my ego take over, and and I was punished. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned from that not just to take business because people flatter you, and not just to take business because it's convenient. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was a famous failure. Yeah. sounds like a good lesson for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you think is the biggest thing that really holds people back from creating their legacy now? Well, it's fear. You know, I wrote a book called fearless leadership a year or so ago. And, uh, 
you know, if you look at procrastination, for example, procrastination is fear. And it's an interesting dynamic because people who procrastinate are more afraid of finishing a project and being critiqued for it than they are of the critique for not getting started at all. <laughs> so I would rather you blame me for not starting than have me finish it and then say to me, it's not so good. So I never complete the painting. I never complete the new product launch. I never complete the new house purchase, whatever it is. Uh, and I think that's what stops people from creating legacy. They are afraid of critique. And again, this is a question of guilt. It's a question of esteem. It's a question of the wrong metrics because they're letting other people judge them. You know, I mean, imagine if Mother Teresa had let other people judge her. Uh, you know, they say, hey, you're not making any money treating those. And those are four people. They can't pay you. You know, it's a wrong metric. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like really, I mean, look, looking at all of this, it's about letting go of all of this external stuff, about trying to be validated by other people, by likes, by comments, by accolades, by titles and all of that. And really going on the inside, looking at what we want to do, right? The calling, the passion, the purpose, and really creating a meaning every single day. You, you can't reach out till you let go. You can't run down the, the track with 100 pounds of bandage on your back that you've never jettisoned. And so if you really want to reach out, you have to let go of some stuff. Yeah. Now, if you could give our listeners just one you know, challenge, one action step to take away from all of this, what would be that one thing? I would say to your listeners, think about this. If for any reason you disappeared tomorrow, whether it's by death or you were kidnapped or an alien spacecraft took you back to, you know, Alpha Omega somewhere. Uh, if you left tomorrow for good, how would people remember you? Wow. Now, before I ask my final question, where can people find you online? AlanWeiss.com, A-L-A-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. And there is free video, free audio, free text, free downloads, uh, and you can subscribe to my free newsletter. So, you know, don't spend a penny. Uh, all that is there, and, and you're welcome to it. Perfect. Now, what does it mean for you to max out your life? Well, I don't quite know what max out my life means. Uh, every day to me is a new day. Every day to me is an exciting day. Every day to me is a day of learning and exploration. Um, and, uh, you know, I constantly reinvent myself. And so I'm going to do this for as long as I possibly can. I don't believe in retirement. I think it's a stupid thing. It's a dumb artifact from ancient times. Uh, you know, it was a socialist. Uh, it was a socialist belief in the 19th century. So I, I don't think you retire. I think you continue to contribute. And that's what I want to do. Love that. Ellen Weiss, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me today. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to, you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, 
as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.